You know a dream is like a river, ever-changing as it flows. And a dreamer's just a vessel that must follow where it goes. Trying to learn from what's behind. And never knowing what's in store Makes each day a constant battle Just to stay between the shore Hello ladies and gentlemen, I am Maxwell Ivy Known around the world as The Blind Blogger And this is another episode of What's Your Excuse? Where I hope to help you overcome your excuses That are holding you back by bringing you conversations with people who have overcome adversity, thrived in spite of difficult life circumstances, struck out on their own and started a unique business, or have real world tested advice to help you take action in your own lives. And you can find me at theblindblogger.net. You can also find the podcast at wyexcuse.com. And of course you can ask Alexa or Google to play What's Your Excuse? Uh, Also wanna ask you to check out our sponsors, Blubbery for our podcasting hosting and the hosting of the What's Your Excuse Network. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, start off on a good foot by working with the great people over at Blubbery. And also this week, I want to ask y'all to check out my friends over at uh, Crystal Creek Organics. I've been getting some good results with uh, topical CBD cream from them. And it's really helped with knee pain and with fatigue. So I hope y'all will check them out. So Today, I have to bring with y'all a guy who, at first, I wasn't sure was really a great fit for the podcast. But as I got to know him a little better, I've realized that he is ideally suited because this is a guy. His name is Jeff Smith, and he's a guy who, in, in school, failed at math, failed at English, yet he has written the best-selling, biggest-selling ever book on mathematics. In fact, he has written seven number one best-selling books. Uh, he has spoken around the world. He's led training classes for major corporations. Uh, he's basically overcome a, something that I believe a lot of you would have just said, hey, if I can't do that, there's no way I can succeed in today's workforce. But he has, and we're going to learn about just exactly what he went through and how. And before I before I say hi to him, just want to make sure y'all know his website is jeff-smith.com. And so, uh, Jeff, thank you, and welcome to What's Your Excuse? Oh, thank you, Max. I feel truly blessed to be here with you today. Thank you so much for the invitation. Well, I have to be honest and thank you for reaching out and for saying, hey, Max, um, I think I do belong on your show, and here's why. I mean, so... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know I, I mentioned I mentioned that not just because it's 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 funny and it's true, but also I want to encourage people who see me to realize the reason I get on podcasts, the reason I have great guests, is one or both of us did some storytelling. We said, "Hey, this is who we are. This is our story. This is why you need to have me in front of your audience." And I wish more people would do that because I can't tell you how many messages I get on the website that me and you used, uh, podmatch.com, which belongs to my great friend, Alex Sanfilippo. I can't tell you how many messages I get on that system are like, 
hey, I think I'd be great for your podcast. Check out my bio. And that's it. So thank you for your thank you for your thank you for your persistence and, and basically just for living a great life and trying to and trying to help so many other people. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your early beginnings and how it was that you managed to go from somebody who struggled with the with some of the basics to being so successful today? Okay, well, th- thank you for that, Max. Uh, you've covered a lot of points there that I want to backtrack on a little later, also. But to cover your first question, I didn't struggle with Max with uh, math and English. I was lazy. Oh. That that that's the crux of it. So, <clears throat> going back to when I was younger, wonderful parents. I had a wonderful childhood. I loved my mom and dad dearly. However, they were not a mentor to me. And I don't mean this disrespectfully. I think I was a passenger in their lives, uh, which I think, I'm in my 60s now, right? So I think children of that time were passengers in their parents' lives, where nowadays I have two girls and I'm pass- I'm the passenger in their lives. Things have changed around <laughs> so much. Yeah, completely. So when I was at school, I um, I started playing keyboards from eight years old, ten years old, and I was only interested in music, Max. Nothing else. So I didn't want to know, you know, who was the king of England in 1483 and how is that going to help me with music you know it's it's not <laughs> so when it came to doing homework I, you know, I put more work into avoidance than I did doing looking back on it now so I left school and um, I, I literally failed on math and English it wasn't that I was not clever enough to do it it's just that I didn't see the point in doing it, so I didn't. Then what happened? I left school. I became a mechanical and and electrical engineer. And part of that journey, I had to go to college. (laughs) So I went to college, and now math and English applied to my job. I thought, I get this now. And I did really well, and I got distinctions in in stuff then. So for me, unless I could relate it to what I was doing, I really wasn't interested. And that's a real weakness. Later on then, uh, the, the music took over, and I I was offered some work as, as a working musician. Now, let me put this into context. As a mechanical, it had to be like a dream job. I mean, you're going well, guy, yeah. You know, used to play keyboard. He used to play keyboards to the point that he would ignore and go out of his way to avoid his studies. Is now given an opportunity at a job where he gets paid to play. Yeah. Now, how much did I get paid to play? Let me put <laughs> this in. Let me put this into context. As a mechanical and electrical engineer, I was 18 years old, so I'm an apprentice. And I was getting paid the equivalent of about $10 a week. And I, I, and I loved the work, uh, but $10 a week was not a lot, even in the 1970s, you know. And right. it was my mom and dad's silver wedding anniversary, and 
they had a band play for them and there was there's this song called the anniversary waltz that whoever anniversary it is of course the band plays this song the anniversary waltz the the anniversary couple dance and have a wonderful time well it was coming up to that time and i went to the guys in the band and i said can i play the anniversary waltz for my mom and dad and they wow are you oh, really cuz i'm still quite young you know and i said yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, they said well, it's your mom and dad, so yeah, okay. And and they looked at me and they were like, mm, is this kid for real, you know? So <clears throat> they said, okay, can we have Mr. and Mrs. Smith at uh, the 25 years mark in the middle of the dance floor? It's time for the anniversary waltz. So people stand around the edge, give them a round of applause. My mom and dad are there in the middle. And they said, we're not going to play the anniversary waltz for you. Jeff is going to play it for you. And I walk from the side onto the stage and I'm like, whoa. So I started playing with the band because everybody's going, wow, my mom and dad are in tears because you can imagine how emotional this was. So it was a wonderful time. So I played the music, finished this, came off, went to give my mom and dad a big cuddle and love and that, and uh, <clears throat> went to get a pint of beer. A guy came over to me at the bar. And he said, Jeff, that was amazing. You, you're a better player than all of the guys in the band. And I mean, that's very kind of you. But for me, it's just a hobby. And he said, I'm a music agent. I want to give you some work. And I said, uh, I don't think that's for me. Now, let me remind you, I was getting paid $10 a week. So this guy said, I, I want to be your agent and I want to give you three, I'll start you off with three gigs a week, three nights. Each night, I'm going to pay you $50. And I want to pay. You <laughs> so, do I can. The blind guy shouldn't shake it. The blind guy shouldn't be shaking his head because I'll, I'll get mail on that. I will get, I will get mail. <laughs> So, so Jeff, do you want to carry on working at $10 a week or do you want to do $50 a night for three nights starting off? It was like, hell yeah, I'm gone. So I started, I started doing that and, and I couldn't balance the two. So my dad said, well, finish getting your papers as an electrician so you've got a trade to fall back upon and then uh, you can turn professional musician, which is what I did. Now, here's the thing. You say... I'm getting paid a lot of money because I got paid a lot more money after that once I turned professional. And I fell out of love with it, Max. My dream wasn't my dream job. And I think sometimes when a passion becomes a job, you lose the passion for it. And that happened to me specifically because as a musician and a chef or anything like that, where you're serving the public, you're working whilst everyone else is having a good time. So your good times are really limited on when you can do them. And I'm thinking, I actually don't like this life very much. I enjoy playing and I, I earn a lot of money from it. And you'll know it as a showman yourself. You're working when everybody else is not, right? Yeah. Yeah, the only yeah. difference was is I, the only difference for me is 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 I'm not I'm one of those people who has really never found 
really never found what you would call fun. So, I mean, to me, uh, there was work and then there was, there was, what's the current expressions? There's, there's working on your business and working in your business. So to me, so to me, my fun was, okay, I've got through the week. We managed to avoid disaster one more time. Now, now what, now what, now what can, what can Max do so that we don't get this close to the edge again next week? That that was my, that was my fun. Because, you know, because trust me, when you operate a when you operate an eight ride fun fair in the state of Texas, where everybody has three times as many rides as you do, you spend a lot of time really close to the edge. You know. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to come yeah. back and interview you about your life, Max. It sounds fascinating. We'll uh, we'll we'll get that on record. I would love to do that because I because you know being on your be you know you interviewing me could do nothing but improve my uh, my profile and probably get me some more work as a speaker so heck I, heck yeah i'll do that um yeah sure but yeah i was i was but i was thinking the same thing like you said when you're working everybody else is having fun and the other thing is is you have to deal with people having fun that maybe have a little too much fun but you still have to deal with that while you're also working so yeah I, <laughs> yeah so I, yeah. I thought, I thought you know, th- this lifestyle is not for me. So, so I, I quit. I did not know what to do. And my dad said, well, I was still living with my parents at the time. I was about 23. And my dad said, well, it's okay you quitting, but you can't sit on your ass. You have to get out there, work, <laughs> earn some money. Yeah. So, um, so I did. And uh, I got a job in in a car dealership. Now I I'd, I'd been uh, working with some very successful and famous people when I was a musician, and I was fascinated in what makes successful people successful. And what I found is they all do eleven things in common. So I thought if I pl- apply those eleven things to my life, then. The formula means I should also be successful, right? So I did. Okay. So I went from selling cars, I became sales manager, sales manager to general manager, then a director, then I was director of 10 full-blown dealerships. And this is where when you're running one business, it's pretty tough. But when you're running 10 businesses in 10 different locations, you can't be at all of those locations. So you have to find some way of understanding what the heck is going on in in each of these businesses at any one point in time. So I used KPI, Key Performance Indicators. I thought everybody used these. In fact, very few people did. In fact, they did use them, but they didn't understand what they were and therefore how to use them correctly to maximize the effects in their business. So I accelerated real well. I then set up my own company in 1999 to do training. And one of the things I wanted to do was to give back, to say, thank you for the journey I've had so far. I've done real well. Now I need to contribute and give something back. So I wanted to tell people who were interested about key performance indicators and how to accelerate their business. So I wrote a book. And it was published in 2001. And at the beginning of your show, this is the book that you're talking about. 
So it, it, it is on record as the biggest selling book in history. We're on the best selling author in, in, in industry because of that book. And it's quite strange how it came about because I'm self-published as well. I did not use a publisher. And I had a call from the biggest publisher in the world, which is an American company called Wiley Publications. And I had a phone call one day, and this guy said, hey, Jeff. I said, yeah. He said, I'm Alex. I said, hey, Alex, what can I do for you? <laughs> he said, I'm the editing director of Wiley Publications. Yeah, okay, cool. How can I help you, Alex? And he said, we have the second best-selling book in the world, on the subject of key performance indicators and business strategy. So what's my question? I said, okay, that's good. So who's first? And he said, you're kidding me, right? And I said, <laughs> I said, no. And he said, man, it's you. You're everywhere. He said, we have, if you look at the top 10, we have the number two, the number three, the number four, and the number five. The other books, I don't know who has those. He said, but your book outsells the top 10 put together. You're that far ahead. I mean, wow, I never knew that because I'm self-published. I don't measure stuff like that. And he said, so will you write a book for us? And I said, well, why would I want to do that? And he said, well, you live in England, right? I said, yes. And he said, well, we can get you in America. We can get you into Singapore. We can get you into Asia. I said, Alex, he said, yeah. I said, I'm already in America, Singapore, and Asia. So, <laughs> <laughs> and he said, but I'd love you to write a book for us. And I said, I'm on a particular journey of my own. At some point in the future, maybe we can speak again. But right now, it's not for me. I need to write some other stuff first. And he said, sure, I'll give you a call in a couple of years if that's okay. And I said, yeah, sure. Anyway, so that's how I found out about the success of the book. So then I started researching it a little bit more. But it's quite fascinating. What adversities did I overcome to make the book happen? Which is what right. you want to talk to me about and what's probably that's, more interesting about today. That's one of the things. But before we get there, I just want to point something out to my listeners, okay? You notice what he said there? He said he didn't really think about or pay attention to the numbers. He was just focusing on writing the next book or putting his thoughts down and in a coherent fashion where maybe they could turn into the next book. He didn't spend his time focusing on all these metrics that all the, quote, experts, unquote, tell you that you have to eat, sleep, breathe, and bleed in order to be successful. And that's why I wanted to stop you there because I thought coming from a guy who in, in the words, my best, one of my best friends, Joe, uh, uh, Jim Beppel, a novelty, novelty salesman who's passed away since he, he would have said that you're one of those guys who's seen it all, done it all, been around the world twice. So for somebody who's been as successful as you are to say that, I thought it was really important that I should stop you and, and make sure people heard that. I, I think that's a very, very important point. Very important. I, I was speaking on a podcast a couple of days ago. I won't mention the guy's name. And we were talking about purpose and passion. And he said, 
when I f- made my first million dollars, I wasn't really happy. I was overweight and nothing was aligned in my life. And and then he, he said, he said, and how were you, Jeff? And I said, <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that point because it was never about making a million dollars. In fact, I never knew I'd made a million dollars. Someone else told me some years later that I'd done it, which, which comes back to your point, really. So I think what I would like to add to that, because it's a very important point, Max, it, it, if someone listening here now thinks, I want to write a book and make a million dollars, you probably got the wrong plan to begin with. Because for me, and this is just for me, writing the book, as I said earlier, was one method for me of contribution of giving thanks, and to give back to help other people who will be traveling my journey. Never did I ever think it would turn into what it has turned into. I, of course, would like it to be that. And here's the, here's the point I want to make. I wrote a goal for it. And on my goal, I wrote some very clear things in there. And it was never about me. It was never about the book. It was about the person that was going to receive the book. And I wrote, when people read this book, they're going to say, wow, this is so easy to read. Not only is it easy to read from a psychological point of view, because some books are difficult to read with language and things like that, right? So it's easy to read from that point of view, but it takes something complex and makes it easy to understand. So I had that in my goal right from the beginning. And when I started writing my book, it wasn't living up to the goal I'd written. So I I had to scrap it and begin again. And I, Max, I started this book seven times before it fit the goal. Now, this is really important point to make, and it comes back to the point you made, because I was speaking to another lady uh, a couple of months ago, and she said, hey, Jeff, I want you to help me with writing my book. And I said, sure. And uh, I said, why do you want to write a book? And she says, oh, I've already written a book. This is my second book. And I said, okay, so if you've already completed the journey once, what do you want me to do on your second journey? And she said, because the book that I've written sits in the garage. I haven't sold any. And I said, okay, so when you did your goal, what was your goal? And she said, my goal was to write a book. And I said, so your goal was fulfilled. Your goal perhaps should have been I want to, this book was about real estate. She said, I said, your book perhaps should have been, or your goal for the book should have been, I want to help people to really understand real estate, how to buy property well, how to sell property well, when to do it in the cycle so they can buy more properties, make more profit, 
at, in the right kind of way and help them on that journey. So it's the purpose of the book. And, and she started crying. And she said, I get it now. My goal was to write the book. And the universe delivered to me. I wrote the book. My goal was never to sell the book. It was just to write the book. So to recap on what you said there, it's really important that you get your goal specific to what you want to achieve and you only measure the things that are relevant to that achievement, which comes back to what you said earlier, right? There are gurus that say, measure this, measure that, do this, do that. I just focused on, on what I wanted the book to achieve. That's it for the, for the reader, for the consumer, not for me. Right. And, and I want to personally thank you right now for an aha moment. I, I like to tell other people that if you're, if you're hosting a podcast and you're not learning or relearning something from your guests, then you're doing it wrong. So uh, when I published my first book, Leading You Out of the Darkness Into the Light, my goal for that book was to help people actually finally take action to improve their circumstances. It wasn't, you know, part of it was to finish the book and actually say that I had published it. But really, the goal was to help other people find a way to do some of the things I've done. And even though it's shorter than my other books, even though I've gotten much better as a writer since then, that book still sells more copies than the other three books I've written. And I think just from listening to you talk here, I've realized that I need to go back and re-examine what I was thinking at the time I wrote those other books. Mm. And what they you... need to go through the editing process again, actually. Mm -hmm. What do you think you were thinking for the other three, Max? Let, um... me put, let me put you on the spot now. No, I don't mind being put on the spot. Uh, you obviously haven't seen me as a guest because I quite often will think my way through host questions and some of them think it's great theater and some of them think it's horrible radio. So it just depends <laughs> on your point of view. I, I, I think that part of it was, especially with the third book, was a sense of obligation. Like uh, I had the experiences, so I should write the book as opposed to I want to write the book. I think that was the biggest difference. Um, and, and also, there really wasn't the level of difficulty. When I wrote my first book, basically I wrote my first book on a dare. Somebody said they thought I could write. See, y'all, he doesn't know me. He doesn't know me very well. You got to explain this very well, y'all. I don't know you at all. He doesn't know me very well, y'all. Um, so yeah, you write a book on a, on a dare. dare. Come on, yeah. you have to explain this to me. Okay. Um, a woman was offering her expertise at, on creating courses and opt-in uh, magnets, lead magnets. And I said, it'd be great if you gave some advice on how to actually create one. So the conversation ended up with her inviting me to speak at a virtual summit and telling me that in order to do that, I had to have a, I had to have something to give away or something to sell at a discount. She said, Max, I think you can write a book, and I think you can write the book in the next 60 days. And I said, well, you're out of your freaking mind. Cause, um, and she said, she shared her favorite quote with me. She said, Max, Richard Branson is known for saying, promise to deliver and then figure out a way how. And I said, 
I said, you know, that sounds great. That sounds like something I believe in. I said, but if this don't happen, I'm going to show everybody this was your fault. Um, so, so four weeks later, I'm, so four weeks later, I'm writing a book and I'm having a great time rediscovering my love for writing. And uh, she goes, Max, there are four other women on the panel and they've decided that for the purposes of marketing, we want it to be all women. So you're out. And I said, well, you know, I said, I said, well, you know, I'm always, I'm, I've always been really good at finding the positive. I said, you know, I'm a carny kid. I'm a promoter. There's, there's probably blood from, from Barnum or Colonel Parker or somebody like that in my family lineage. I said, I understand what it is to want to put feet on the ground, butts in the seats or faces behind the screen. So don't worry about it, but I'm going to finish this book. And so uh, a few months later, I finally, um, I, I connected with my friend Lorraine regularly who runs a business at wordingwell.com. Uh, she stepped up to help me edit it and format it and submit it through the self-publishing process. And we were good friends before that, but we're really good friends now to the point. I think if I, if I sent her an outline and told her to write my next book, she probably could do it for me Wow! because she's just gotten really good at understanding the way I think and approach life. You know, I wouldn't do it, but I'm saying, I think she knows me that well. So, so yeah, I wrote my first, I wrote my first book on a dare. Hell, uh, a few months ago, I wrote a song on a dare, and people say it's a really good song called "If You Don't Ask." I mean, yeah, I, the answer's I, always no. That's yeah. Well, my dad used to say, "If you don't ask, they can't say yes," which is where the the expression and the song came from. But I'm supposed to be interviewing you, not the other way around. But, uh, <laughs> but we do that sort of stuff here. At what's your excuse? So. Before I lose total control, y'all, I'm sitting here with Jeff Smith, and we're having a great time talking about his journey, and he's going to tell me a little bit more about his publishing process here in a minute. You can find him at jeff-smith.com. Uh, he's, I tell you, I'm, before I met him, I didn't know what KP, KPI stood for, and I'm still not sure if I do it or not do it, but I'm sure we're going to learn a little bit more about that, too, so, Y'all be sure to hit jeff-smith.com. So tell me about your publishing journey here, uh, buddy. Um, okay, so sh- shall we address your first question, which is KPI? What the heck does this stand for? So KPI, it's the letters standing for Key Performance Indicators. What is a key performance indicator? When we measure stuff, it can be anything. We're using key performance indicators. When you sit in your car and you look at the instrument panel in front of you, you're looking at a dashboard of instruments, all of which are key performance indicators. And we make judgments essentially on understanding where we are to where we want to be, whether that be profitability, whether it be in sales volume, whether it be your own personal journey on publishing, whatever it might be. But the term KPI or key performance indicators is usually limited for business use. But we all use them in our everyday life anyway. So my speciality, I think I've been blessed with a gift to understand what they are and how to use them. And coming back to what you said earlier, I have this gift. And I think I have the duty to write the book to explain. I don't like writing. It's not my thing. I consider it a burden. 
but I've been blessed with this gift. So, so that's what I do because uh, people tell me that's what the market requires. But I, I don't enjoy that part of what I do. What I really do is speak at conferences, run training courses, and do one-to-one mentorship. That's, that's what I love to do most. So key performance indicators, it's like a roadmap, if you will, for understanding, particularly in business, for understanding where you are, identifying your goals accurately with clarity, and then mapping out the journey upon which you want to embark upon. And the key performance indicators are are like your voice is coming back to you saying, hey, this is where you were. This is where you are now. Have a think about what you need to do to get from where you are now, from where you want to be. Are your actions moving you in the direction of choice or are you out left, out right somewhere? So that's the purpose of key performance indicators. And that's what KPI stands for. Does that help you, Max? Well, it helps me a little, but what I'm, what I'm hoping is maybe you could apply it to something that I know that at least some of my audience has has attempted or is, is is doing right now. Could you could you give us some idea of what of what you think the key performance indicators would be, say, for an aspiring self-published author, or say for a podcaster, or even say for somebody who's like me trying to build a podcast network? What would be some? Where okay. would you take the KPI? How would you? How would you begin that process and what, what would be some of the things that just occur to you would be would be some of the things you'd want to be paying attention to? Okay, so let, let's take the subject of podcasting. And I'm not a host. I, I just invited to be a guest here and there. So let's take hosting. You have a you you are a host, you have a podcast show. What are your objectives as a host, Max? What's your purpose for having a podcast show? Uh, I think there are three of them. One is I enjoy it. I Mm -hmm. have a lot of fun from having these conversations and I often learn things about myself or the, or the guest or, or in, as I mentioned earlier, many times I will relearn things. So I get joy from doing this. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second thing is, is, is I want more people to benefit from the experiences of my guests. I feel like anytime I get somebody with a great story in front of a larger audience, I'm serving the, the, the general public by doing that. Uh, and, uh, and the last thing is, is by continuing to do something I love anyway, I inspire other people who would tell themselves, you know, podcasting is hard. I can't have a podcast, but then comes along Max and they're like, well, if Max can have a podcast and he's on a second podcast and he's got six years in total, if Max can do it, then what's my excuse? So that's like the third aspect of it is knowing that just by being here, I'm challenging people to overcome the excuses that are holding them back, even if they're not wanting to have a podcast. Okay. So thinking about the success of a podcast how would you measure how successful you are as a podcast host? Or how would you measure how, how successful your podcast is? Well, I think most people, the obvious one would be the listens or the downloads. But when I look at my listens or downloads, I realize, you know, Max, 
your show is, even though you, your target is, um, is inclusive to a lot of people, your show is still in a small niche. So the, the fact that I get 50 to 75 consistent downloads for every single podcast interview, I would say that uh, the consistent audience, the loyal following means that I'm doing good on that level. But there are other people who would say, Max, if you're not hitting 100 or 1,000 or 10,000, you're doing it wrong. So uh, I don't consider downloads and listens as the number one definition of whether I'm succeeding or not. To me, I think it's the uh, the opinion of the guest. It's if not that I have a way of measuring it right uh, so far, but it's people who visit the guest's uh, website or interact with them on social media after they come on my podcast. That's something maybe I should look into measuring uh, because my goal is to, is to help other people. And that's unfortunately with a podcast, even when you help somebody, they're not likely to write you an email and go, you know, Max, I was thinking of jumping off the Brooklyn bridge today, but I heard your podcast and now I'm going to go to work. You know, it just doesn't happen. So <laughs> So, Thankfully, so, not the other way my, around. Yeah, come on, come on. That was just wrong. That was that was that would get you a red. That would get you a red card, buddy. That would get you a red card for, for NFL fans. That would get you a. That would get you an early trip to the showers in the NFL, y'all. I mean, okay, let's go. Just, let's go with the dates you've given. So okay. you have 75 listeners consistently. Uh, if you wanted to get to 10,000 listeners, so we know where we are, we're at 75. If we want to shift it to 10,000, say we know where we are, we know where we want to be. Now, what would we need to do in order to shift the listenership from 75 up to 10,000. Now, you'd plot that journey mathematically. So the, the, the gap is 100% now. So if you moved it up to 1,000, you would be 10% of the way there. You move it up to 2,000, you're 20% of the way there. The question is, you take actions, whether that's a change of guest, different platforms, there's lots of things that you can do. And you're measuring against the the gain or the fall on the listenership. That's an example of one key performance indicator. But in, okay. in that case, it's about understanding what you would need to do to grow the podcast audience. Right. Well, unfortunately, the things that most of the people think I need to do in order to grow the audience are not things that I would really enjoy doing. Um, yeah. They the experts tell me that my show would need to be shorter, tighter, more produced, less spontaneous, uh, that I would have to actually edit the podcast instead of continuing with my recorded live approach to things. Uh, and that, you know, I would have to uh, start spending some money to, 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 uh, to promote the podcast in a way that I haven't done before. So yeah. There are things that I, I know would improve the listenership. The question is, is in order to do that, in order to meet the one goal, I would move myself farther away from the other goal. And I'd be in that position like you were with your music, where you're getting paid a lot of money a week to play keyboards, but it just doesn't, just isn't enjoyable anymore. 
So yeah. I'm unfulfilled. Yeah, and uh, and that's the thing. I've, I, I'm, I'm very fulfilled with what I'm doing. I would just, I would just like to have a few more people listen and make a little bit more money doing it. You know, so yeah. I, my, I guess my, I guess my two primary uh, measures in that case would conflict, and I'd have to decide how badly I want to grow the audience versus how badly I want to continue to enjoy doing this job. Yeah, well, you've raised a very important thing here because I want you to, to – I'm, I'm going to give you three titles, three phrases, and it's about how these three work together in synergy with each other as opposed to on their own. And this is important about key performance indicators as well because most people use one or two key performance indicators and make a decision. That's wrong. You need three or four that work in harmony with each other, and it's understanding those relationships. And I think in my experience, that's what's made me different from other people, and that's how I've been able to accelerate success for me. But these three things. One is, what are you passionate about? I think you have to know that, whether that's enjoyment or passion or purpose in life, whatever that might be. The other one is, what do you get paid to do? And, yeah. And then the other one is, what are you good at? So let me just repeat those three. It's what are you good at, what are you passionate about, and what do you get paid to do? So I want to examine the the link between all three of these because you've just you've just brought them up real well. So if we take two, if we get what you get paid to do, well, I'm I'm I'm, su- I'm surprised to hear you think I brought them up all well because I thought I did very badly at that. Uh, no, you did real well. Those... Okay, all right. I just Am want I to get a bill for this in the mail or something <laughs> at some point. I mean, <laughs> well, you keep raising the points. You throw them, I'll hit them. So, all right. So, what do you get paid to do and what you're good at? So, if you're good at something and you get paid to do it, but you don't enjoy it, you end up unfulfilled. And and that's what you're talking about growing a podcast in areas that perhaps you don't want to grow. And that's really important. And what I find is people who are good at something who get paid to do it they have this thing called a job. It's work. And they can do real well and think there's something missing from their life. They're unfulfilled. And I hear this so often. So I'm good at it. I get paid. I just don't enjoy it. Okay, so that's the one relationship. I tend to... I tend to land on the other side. I'm good at it. I'm satisfied doing it, but I'm waiting for my piggy bank to catch up with the rest of me. Right. Now, let's talk about that relationship then. So what are we good at and what do we enjoy doing, but we don't get paid for it? Okay. So what are we good at? What's our passion? What's our purpose? But we don't get paid for it. So if we look at what we're passionate about and what we're good at it and don't get paid, that's unsustainable. Yeah. Yeah. So 
That's okay, providing you're getting income from somewhere else to support that. And what we find here is people are passionate about things that can do things that they're good at but not necessarily get paid. Might be a podcast to share your knowledge and things. People who do charity work. I do lots of charity work myself too. So that's that relationship. The other one, what are you passionate about and you get paid for, but you're not very good at it? (laughs) So I know a few people like that as well, but that relationship is unrealistic. So if you get paid to do something and you're passionate about it, you love it, but you're not great at the execution part. That sounds like politics to me, but okay. Yeah, could well be. Yeah. So so if we look at the whole three here, the secrets to um, much of the success is finding your passion, what what you enjoy doing, together with being good at it, together with being paid for it. And when you can pull the whole three of those together, then success comes quickly and and in huge amounts which takes me on to the publishing journey question so i wrote a book i didn't particularly like writing the book but i was good at it i did get paid for it but what the book did for me it delivered it put me on a platform that delivered my passion which was to speak at conferences to speak at training courses, and bless you, Max, to be guests on podcasts about the subject. So if you can get these three things together, not just any two, you need three, then, then you can really start building upon your goals and working towards success. Then when adversity happens, it's the three of these things together that pull you through. Because if adversity hits you and you're working on something you're not passionate about, adversity will win. If you're working on something, adversity happens and you're not getting paid, adversity will win. If you're working on something, adversity hits and you're not very good at it, adversity will win. So you need to be good at something. You need to be passionate about something. It helps if you get paid because then it's sustainable or you need income from somewhere else. Then you can master adversity. I think without these things, you will struggle with clarity and things be unsustainable or unfulfilled. Okay. Um, While I was listening to you talk about that, I was thinking, okay, so the goal is, it's something we're good at, something we're passionate about, and something that we we get paid for. And that was reminding me of when I first accepted the idea of being the blind blogger, of sharing more about being an, an entrepreneur who happens to be blind with the world. Uh, one of the things that a lot of people said was, it's like, you know, Max, you should be, a, you'd be a great coach because you know so much about overcoming adversity and accomplishing goals that anybody would want to hire you. Well, it turns out that nobody wanted to hire me for that. But what they did want to hire me for was they wanted to know uh, how did Max get on podcasts? 
how did banks get on radio and virtual summits and in and in uh, online magazines? They wanted to know how did banks get get Max promoted, and more than a few of them have been willing to pay for me to do that for them. So I'm good at it. I'm passionate about it because I realize most people don't understand the, the power of their story and they're not very good at telling it, which yeah. really puts them at a disadvantage in promoting themselves. So in that case, those three things have uh, have all come together as what I like to call online and being an online media publicist. So it it has all three of those things plus it, it provides enough income for me to do a couple of things that I'm passionate about and good at, but not getting paid for. There you go. Absolutely. So I've been doing KPI and didn't know it, man. That's another <laughs> thing I was doing and didn't. Uh, I, I'm convinced. I'm convinced. I am convinced that one of the biggest problems is, is that people put names to stuff and it makes them harder because yep. I have done a lot of, I've done a lot of things in my life. When I, when I was still selling used carnival rides on my on my other website, uh, I recorded some videos and was perfect, perfectly fine doing it because I never thought of it as a podcast. You know, a lot of people, they're great recording YouTube videos, but if you tell them they're going to do a podcast, their, you know, mind seizes up. So, yeah. you know, I think a lot for a lot of people, it's just once you once you give the dog a name, it becomes a problem. So, uh so there's another thing I was doing and didn't realize I was doing it. Okay. All right. Well, here's another interesting fact for you. You've done it again, Max. Here we go. When, uh, when I was 18, I decided to find out, to begin this journey of how do successful people become successful? And at my young age, that was a millionaire. How does a millionaire become a millionaire? Because okay. I, my parents were great. I wouldn't say we were poor because I think that's a state of mind. We were broke. That's a state of pocket. There's <laughs> <laughs> a difference between the two. So um, I was born into debt, educated in debt. My life expectation was debt. And as a musician, I sold a, a keyboard that was double the value of the home that we were in. And my dad could not afford the home. We rented it from the state. So it was $2,000. And then a guy bought this keyboard for $4,000. And I'm like, wow, how is it? And he paid folding money. So I'm thinking, how, how is it? How is it that someone can amass such wealth and be successful when my dad, who is a really smart engineer, didn't. So I began that journey. Over the next 25 years, I interviewed 325 millionaires, successful people. I found out that they all did 11 things in common. Now, here's the interesting thing, Max, which is back to what you said. Okay. I'm going to be interested to hear this because Max ain't no millionaire. That's for damn sure. Yeah. <laughs> so... Many of these people were not aware that they were fulfilling these 11 steps. They did not know. They just did them innate. Some people wow. knew they were doing some of them. But it's fascinating. The guys, the people that were oblivious, 
once I told them what the 11 steps were and what they were doing, it was, well, yeah, I do that. But I never knew they were part of the 11 steps of success. Now I know what they are. I can accelerate my development at a much faster rate, which is what they did. Isn't that fascinating? And that's just exactly what you said. So you've been using key performance indicators this whole time. You just never knew it. Okay. So the, well, the key can, now well, is, yeah, the key yeah, now the, is the to key use. Now, yeah, go. Okay. The key now is to figure out if Max has been using these KP, these 11 important principles for years, why Max hasn't succeeded with them. That's what Max needs to figure out next. Ah, I said key performance indicators in your case, not the 11 steps of success. And oh, Okay, I lost track of you there. Yeah, and then the other thing was your game plan, your goal. Was it to earn a million dollars? Was it? No. There you go. That's why you don't have it. Because that wasn't in I the plan. Yeah. yeah, you know. If you don't they, ask. Uh, I'm the... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, we got to give the guest bonus points for using the host's catchphrase against him. So, um, you know, this is, a very, this is a very interesting point. I know we were both joking about this, but in my family, yeah. I, I am a running joke in my family because uh, not that I celebrate birthdays or Christmas or any of that anymore, but my family used to used to hate holidays where they had to give me a gift because it was like, there's nothing Max wants. There's nothing Max needs. Max, he's like, you know, it's like, what are we, what, they would actually come to me and go, Max, is there anything you can think of that you would want? And it would always be a struggle for me because, you know, most of the time they're just, I'm just really not a materialistic person. I mean, uh, the easiest answer I ever gave was like five years ago or six years ago. Now they wanted to know what I wanted. I said, I said, buy me a serious radio. Cause uh, I get a lot of enjoyment out of listening to the satellite radio programs, but usually, you know, if you, I, I have, you know, I don't aspire to own a nice car. I, I actually had a, a conversation with one of my guests a year ago about if there are even any blind people who have, you know, garages full of cars like sighted people do or not, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, you're right. Um, I don't really aspire to things like that. I don't ask for things like that. So I don't get things like that. I, I have always said my goal is to be more sustainable, to have more regular, reliable income is my goal. So uh, since that's my goal, I'm meeting my goal, aren't I? Okay, you've done it again. I have another story for you. Okay. Imagine, I can only give you something if you ask me for it. Okay. So I, I, I'm not going to go into a religion or anything like that, but we'll say the deliverer is the universe. Some might call it God, or I'm, I don't want to go there. I'll just call it the universe. Now, in order, for the, in order for the universe to deliver, it needs to know what you want. Because if you don't ask, it can't say yes, right? Now, if you say, well, in fact, you've given my favorite analogy, because when I start talking to people about success and what it entails, I say to people, well, what do you want? And they'll say, more money. And I say, okay, 
I put my hand in my pocket and I pull out a dollar bill and I give it to them. There you go. And they go, no, no, Jeff, you know that's not what I want. And I said, no, wait, wait. You said you wanted more money. You didn't say how much. And you've ended up, your goal is fulfilled. So if you have a generic goal, which is more sustainable <laughs> income over a period of time, how can I give you that? Because I don't know what that is. And what I found when I interviewed these 325 extremely successful people, what they all had in common, they knew exactly, exactly what they wanted. So if someone wanted, let's for instance say a million dollars, their goal would be, I want a million dollars. And the form in which it will take is I will look at my bank statements. There will be a number of transactions, and the cumulative amount will be $1 million, and it will be by lunchtime. It will be on the 22nd of September, 2024. Max, that's the difference between achieving success on a specific goal and generic things saying, I want more money. Now, let me explain now how your brain works. And, and how the universe can deliver to you or not deliver to you. Your brain is like the universe in that it cannot accept a negative connotation in your thoughts. Now, by this, what I don't mean is positive and negative in that context. Let me give you an example. Do not think of a pink elephant. Don't do it. What do you think about a pink elephant, I was, right? I was thinking about nothing actually. I was, I was actually thinking about the the, the story I was going to tell you when you're through with this one. Actually, <laughs> you're drifting already. So the point that you, you your brain works like it's a dangers of talking. It's a dangers of talking with a storyteller. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's okay. So. What happens, your brain is like Google. So if you go onto Google and, and you, you search, do not show a red car, and then you press search, what will happen? It will show you a red car. Why? Because it cannot accept the, the negative connotation. Google, just like your brain, just like the universe, doesn't come back to you and say, oh, you don't want a red car. What would you like instead? Now, our brain does not have that capacity. So here's what happens with people who are not as successful as perhaps they would like to be. They're in a situation and they think, oh, I hope this doesn't happen. That's like saying to Google, don't show me a red car. See, the universe can only deliver what you're thinking about. And here's the point, whether you want it or not. Because it doesn't have the ability to come back to you and say, if you don't want that, what do you want instead? So some critical thinking is you think about what you do want, as opposed to thinking about what you don't want. Because you become what you think about, whether you want it or whether you don't want it. Right. Yeah, I agree with you that. And I actually applied that when it comes to my public speaking. 
because in the beginning I was like, I just want the opportunity to get in front of people and share my stories and hopefully have an effect on them. And as a result of that, I never got paid. And most of the speaking opportunities were away from my home. Yep. So you got what you asked for. Yeah, I got one of those. One of those experiences went horribly wrong. And when I got back home, I, 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 I talked to some very good friends of mine and I came up with a new list and I said, okay, from now on for the next year, Max doesn't leave Houston or Conroe, which is outside of Houston. Max doesn't leave Conroe unless they pay his expenses or unless they pay him at least a thousand dollars or both. And for the next year, I either got in, I either got invited or was accepted to speak here in the Houston area or people met my expenses. So as I set my own standards higher and said, this is what I'm willing to accept, those things started showing up. So I can't disagree with you when you talk about being specific in what we asked for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If you don't ask. You know, you're starting to piss me off. Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to have to sing my song to close the show today instead of I think that would be awesome. It would be awesome. How fitting, and I can't wait to hear. Max, it's over to you, my friend. All right. Yeah. Well, I've got to. I've got to close this out. So, you know, usually I do this after the guest is gone, but I still say nice things about them. But today I'm going to do it with (laughs) Jeff here. And. And I love how often, I love how often he said I was right, even though he usually couched it in in terms of. Uh, but you could do you could be you could be more right instead. You know, so um, we learned from him today that we get what we ask for, and as he keeps reminding me, if you don't ask, you 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 won't get it. If you don't ask, other people in the universe of God can't say yes. So that's an important reminder, even if he is using my own words against me. Uh, which is starting to happen more and more. So maybe that's a good sign. More people are get, understanding it and doing it and reminding me of it. Um, so I love how he, he uh, has got us thinking about the goal for a particular uh, uh, effort or project. So if you're writing a book, you're starting a podcast, you're creating a network, uh, you're building a company, what is your why? Why are you doing it? What is your goals? And we have to be specific with those goals if we want to meet those goals. And uh, other thing I think we've learned from him here today is that uh, if if you do something just because they pay you, uh, even if it's something that you enjoy doing, that payment can make uh, things that you're passionate about become like a job, which is interesting because a lot of podcasters quit about the ninth or tenth episode when podcasting stops being fun and starts feeling like a job to them. I should have asked him that question. Um, and then this, this last part here about the, about you finding something that you're passionate about, that you're good at, and that they will pay you for. If you can make those three things happen, then you can be really successful at whatever it is you're doing. So that's a great reminder. So uh, we want to thank Jeff Smith for coming on the podcast. You can find him at jeff-smith.com. We want to thank Blubbery for sponsoring the show. We want to thank Crystal Creek Organics for making Max feel good enough to do the show. Um, and so we want to, I also want to, you know, remind y'all without you, I couldn't keep doing this. So 
I appreciate that y'all take the time to listen, even though you've got lots of other things that you could be giving your attention to. So until next time, thank you. Take care. This is the blind blogger. This is what's your excuse. If you don't ask, they can't say yes. They can't say you're hired or you're the best. They can't say I do. Oh, yes, 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 yes. If you don't ask, they can't say yes. If you don't ask, they can't say yes. They can't give you answers to your life's test. They can't help you clean up your latest mess. If you don't ask, they can't say yes. Max, I love that. I've loved today. What a fabulous song. I've learned a lot.